That's right, it would have been. It would have been. If, if y'all are planning on going to the sanctuary at 11 o'clock, you better go early because it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it really is. Y'all did a great job. All right. Let's bow our heads. Lord, thank you for sending your son to take away all of our sins. This is a season when you blessed us with his birth. They thought he was coming as a conqueror and to free the Jews from their enemies. But as we found out, he really came as a servant. He taught us that the most important commandments were to love him and to love our neighbor. During this Advent season, we've been blessed with so many things that we need to share with others. Remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Our class has again been so gracious and generous that we will make many of God's children have a better day and in many cases, better lives. Thank you, God, for allowing us to do this for your kingdom. Lord, bless our country and our leaders. Bless our servicemen and policemen and keep them safe. And Lord, be with Phil. He brings your message today that we can use it to go into our world and spread the good news. Be with our class and those who are unable to be with us. Give our families travel mercies during this busy season and let us remember always why we celebrate this time of year. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <coughs> <coughs> Thank you, boys. Well, it's good to be here this Sunday. Missed seeing you last Sunday. I suppose you, all of you were trying to stay warm and dry, out of the snow, safe. Um, so we had a lot of catching up to do. Uh, but before that, let me just thank you again for the lovely night we had together at our Christmas party, um, all the beautiful ways that you um, were together and the ways that you uh, blessed me and honored me. Um, it's a little scary to walk into the class and see, see that over there. It's a little creepy. Um, but uh, yeah, I just want to—I just want to give you permission to say what you were thinking. <laughs> so, <laughs> what's that? Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's okay. When I think of the people on that wall, um, who are dear, dear people 
to Muncie and to this class, um, it's pretty overwhelming. So uh, thank you for, for that. Oh, you're one of them. Um, if you don't mess up. Yeah. Since Boyce already told us we should get to church early today, um, it's a subtle hint from Boyce, like, don't teach too long today. Maybe we just go now, make sure you get your seats. Got the message. Received. So I was trying to decide this week how to catch up. Um, we're in Advent, as you know, and we've been in the first chapter or so of Luke. Um, and the plan originally was to uh, take three weeks and look at uh, three people or groups of people uh, who were waiting and um, last time we were together, we, we talked about Elizabeth and Zachariah. And we didn't even get to Zachariah's song. Um, but what I wanted us to think about today in, in light of Advent and this waiting and anticipation, it's always interesting to ask ourselves, like, what are we waiting for? Um, and in the Christian year, that's a, that's a complex question because there's usually more than one thing we're waiting for. We're, of course, we're waiting, um, we're rehearsing every year. In the Christian year, we rehearse uh, the whole Christian story. And so we're waiting for, we're, we're re-remembering um, the coming of Jesus the first time. But of course, you also know that Advent is the season where we also anticipate the coming again of Jesus. And so it's, it's interesting to think that we begin the year, begin the church year, by looking to the end of the story, right? Uh, so it's true that we're looking at the beginning of God with us when God takes flesh. But we also begin the church year by reminding us where the story is going. Like, where is all this going? That's a kind of interesting thing to think about. To the church have the, the forethought to realize that really any story that you have is shaped by where you think it's going. Right? I mean, most of your lives, my life itself, at any one point, was deeply shaped by where I thought my life was going. I mean, as you know, I'm a college teacher, and so I remind my students often, I mean, the reason they're there at all is because they're anticipating a certain kind of future. I mean, you can't make sense of why anybody would do what they're doing, right? Which most people throughout history have not done. Unless somebody had convinced them that devoting four, in some cases five, years of their lives, you know, obscene amounts of money, 
and resources and what economists call opportunity costs. Right? I mean, if you're doing this with your life for four or five years, you're, there's all these other things you're not doing. So somebody must have told them a really powerful story that says, give yourself to this for four or five years. Why? Because of the future you imagine for yourself. So all of us, every day, whether we know it or not, are living into some imagined future. We talk a lot about how our present is shaped by our past, which is true. We probably don't talk near enough about how our present is shaped by our future, the future we imagine. So Advent isn't simply about remembering the past, Jesus taking flesh, being God with us, but it's also about the future that we imagine. The time when, when Jesus will return and close the curtain of history as we know it and usher in fully the kingdom that Jesus has promised to bring. And so it's in light of that coming that we also live. And so I just wanted to kind of remind us of that because um, it's hard. Um, that's the part of Advent that's easy to forget because we're, we're so understandably fixated on the first coming of Jesus. We realize that but Advent's also the time to remind ourselves where the whole story is going. And so we're going to catch some glimpses of that in these songs. I mean, there are three powerful songs that happen in, the, in these first two chapters of Luke. And they're songs that we hear maybe once a year. Um, but it's interesting, if you're, in, uh, if you're in a setting that follows what's called the, what's in the church uh, tradition, is called the daily office. This is people who who pray every day um, and who follow a certain liturgy, a certain set of scripture texts every day. Uh, some of you know that I always take students to the monastery up in Indiana every February, and we hang out with the monks for two or three days. And one of the things we do is we enter into their prayer life for a couple days, and they gather five times a day. And it's interesting, these three, these these three hymns, if you will, these three songs of praise come up every day. Okay? These three songs are sung every day in a monastery. Not once a year. Every day. Okay? Uh, one of them is sung in a, song, in a service called uh, lauds, which means praise. That's Zachariah's song. It's sung early in the morning, okay, after you're getting up. Mary's song, uh, the Magnificat, is sung every evening at evening prayer, every day. And then when you go to bed at a service called Compline, it's the service you 
you uh, pray before you go to sleep, you have Simeon's song, right, um, from Luke chapter 2. So just a kind of reminder that these songs have had a powerful influence on the church's life and imagination, even though we don't necessarily hear them that frequently. They are powerful songs, each of which has gospel in it. Uh, good news. And so in a perfect world, we would have taken, you know, a week for each of these three, but the snow has had its way with us, and so we're, we're on a compressed schedule. Um, I just want to get that out there so that you can, if we don't, and we're not going to try to deal with all three today, um, that, that you go back and look at those famous songs in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, they are powerful songs uh, that both, they're songs of rejoicing uh, about different kinds of things. So some surprising things. Uh, some joy at God finally doing what God had promised to do and catching a glimpse of it. The privilege of catching a glimpse of what God promised to do coming to fruition. And these, these are powerful songs. Again, not just for the Christmas season. This is part of what I want you to say. So the, the good news is if we don't get through these on Advent, they're still there. And they are appropriate for every day, not just, you know, the sort of lead up to Christmas. And so take some time at some point uh, in the coming weeks uh, to linger with these songs. Each one of them has uh, something powerful uh, to teach us. I thought we would start our focus today, I guess. Um, because I don't think we'll get to either of the other two, um, with Mary's story and her song. Um, this is one we would have done last week, but as it turns out, it's what uh, Michael dealt with in the journey service, if you were there. Um, it's a familiar story, but uh, it's worth reminding ourselves of uh, this song that she sings, which is surprising in some ways. Um, and a little distressing. It's not necessarily the song that we would have written if you'd been asked to write a song for Mary. Uh, my hunch is it might have been different. Certainly would have been if I'd written it. But let's look at the story before we get to the song. Um, and, and we'll draw a few contrasts with uh, the Zechariah and Elizabeth story. This is in Luke chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 26, if you want to follow along. That's Luke chapter 1. Uh, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, now you think the sixth month of what? This is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. This is the story we just left off. Okay, It's always confusing when you start a section like that. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, who had before visited right, Zechariah, was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So you recall that Zechariah met Gabriel in the temple. Okay, The sort of 
center of Jewish life, the center of where people expected to meet God, right? And now this scene has shifted dramatically to Nowheresville. Okay. I mean, it's called Nazareth, but it was known as Nowheresville. Okay. That's not insignificant. We forget that because for us, Nazareth is like, that's where Jesus was. I mean, that's, that's where Jesus was from. That's, that's a place. Uh, but it wasn't a place. I mean, it was like a little wide place in the road. Uh, but there was, like, it was nothing. And so this, this itself is interesting. That now Gabriel has gone to Nowheresville. Um, and whereas Zechariah was somebody, right, serving, you know, part of the, the family of priests, now we're coming to an unwed young girl who is engaged to somebody from the line of David. And we know her name is Mary. And he, Gabriel, came to her and said, How you doing, Mary? <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He actually uh, says, Greetings, favored one. Right? Or greetings, one full of grace. This word translated as favor can be favor or grace. It's this notion of she's somehow full of grace and favor. The Lord is with you. Can you imagine that? Just for a moment. Someone comes Gabriel's not going to announce who he is this time, although he announced who he was last time in a bit of frustration it appeared, right? When Zechariah like, wanted to know like, what was going on, asked for a sign. Greetings favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed. Seems like a little understatement there. She was much perplexed by his words and pondering what sort of greeting this might be. <clears throat> Indeed. What kind of greeting? What could that possibly mean? Favored one, the Lord is with you. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. There it is again. Right. You have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. This is the second time Gabriel's inserted himself in the naming of a child, which we remind ourselves was not common. Usually, you have already had a name chosen, a family name. Right. Name him Jesus. Yahweh saves. He will be great, called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now that's a lot to take in. 
I mean, if it wasn't enough just to take in, I mean, for me, it's hard to imagine, like, Mary heard anything after you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. I mean, like, how could she have heard anything after that? <laughs> um, that just seemed like that would just, yeah. But, I mean, what's after is dumbfounding, right? It's astonishing. You'll bear a son, you'll name him Jesus. He will be great, called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. Now David's, you recall, the covenant with David, that somehow he was told by God that his, the house of David would reign forever. Well, that hadn't happened. Right? That hadn't happened. David's house had collapsed. Israel had collapsed, been overrun by multiple invaders. And so people had pretty much given up on that. Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So this promise that who knows if they'd kept waiting on that one or not, or many of them just given up, sounds like it is coming to fruition. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And you might ask yourself, um, I mean, nothing bad happens here to Mary. And you remember uh, Zechariah sort of was struck mute uh, by talking back to Gabriel. And uh, your first question might be, how come she gets away with it? I, I think because something different is going on here. Um, recall that what happened, the promise that was made to Zechariah, uh, and his wife was something that had happened before, right? Um, Elizabeth being barren and having a child in her own age, in her old age, was something that had happened in the history of Israel. And so when Gabriel comes and announces to Zechariah, this is going to also happen to Elizabeth, there's precedent for that. Right. So, when Zechariah asks for a sign, like, how do I know this is going to happen? Right? How do, which is sort of like, how do I know this could, this could happen? It's like, just shut up, old man. Right? Which is what he did. Um, and the first words out of his mouth are going to be the song that you hear. Right? So when you read that, think about this is a man who hasn't had a chance to say anything for nine months and finally has something worth saying. But Mary is not asking for a sign here. No, she, she actually will get one, but she didn't ask for one. And she's really just asking for information, like, like, how is this possible? I'm a virgin. This is unprecedented. It's not like, oh, 
I'm going to be one of those virgins who had a child. <laughs> no. That's not what she... She's like, no, what? How can this be? How can this be? And Gabriel does not take offense at this. Right? I mean, it seemed like a legitimate question. And it gives Gabriel a chance to explain to her how this will be. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And here's the sign. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who has, was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the last words of the angel, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. And notice that she uh, consents. This has been really important in the history of the church. Um, and we've mentioned before, this is one of the reasons why uh, Mary, in much of the church from the very beginning, uh, was considered to be the first disciple of Jesus. Right? That Mary's the first disciple of Jesus. She's the first one to say yes to Jesus. Right? Um, she's the first one to welcome Jesus into her life, quite literally. Right. And that's taken as an important part of the way God works. Right? That God's, God's not going to force who God is upon you. We have every reason to believe that Mary could have said, no, thank you. Right. But she doesn't. She says, be it unto me as you have said. And it's an important reminder that a powerful thread throughout all of Scripture that's easy to miss is that God's will is always enacted through people. Which is not the way I would have done it. <laughs> right? I mean, if I've been on the job, if I've been like the architect of this, it's like, no, people are pretty messed up. You know? If I were God, I would have done what I often do as a father, which is, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> right? I can still remember the voice of my father in my head, you know, saying disgustingly, if you want something done right, you just do it yourself. Right? From the very beginning, God is always seeking partners and unlikely partners. Right? Abraham, right, and Sarah, Moses. I mean, 
if, if you look down the sort of history of the so-called heroes of the faith, they all, almost to a person, have a pretty significant shadow side to them. Right? There's some, I mean, you wouldn't want your children to grow up to be David. Right? Man after God's own heart. Indeed. But he's got a pretty dark side to him. Right? We often forget. He's a murderer. Most of you don't want your children and grandchildren to grow up to be murderers. Right? Adulterer. Right? And yet, and yet, and yet, right? Nevertheless, God always has this nevertheless. Um, God deigns to use frail, broken, surprising people to enact God's will. It's been that way from the beginning. And it's easy to forget that. God's God's will is not being driven primarily by some divine magic show. But instead, God is empowering people with the Spirit. I mean, Luke, the Gospel of Luke is nothing if not the Gospel of the Spirit. And you see it here. Right? John was promised to be a man of the Spirit, John the Baptist. Here, the Holy Spirit is coming upon Mary. And then she's left alone, right? The angel departs. You kind of wonder, like, like now what? Talk about waiting. Now what? Well, she goes to visit, goes to visit Elizabeth, doesn't she? So in those days, Mary set out and went to haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? Do you hear that? How does she know? First time, first one to announce, first human being to announce Jesus as Lord. Right? Elizabeth. Right? While well, he's still in utero, just barely conceived. Why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. <clears throat> and it's at that that Luke records this famous song, called the Magnificat, which we'll read in entirety just to let it have its way with us. I know you've heard it lots and lots of times. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. 
Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. It's quite a song. And there's parts of it that are arresting, isn't it? I mean, there's certainly a kind of looking back, a kind of joy that comes from Mary's sense that God is fulfilling the promise made all the way back to Abraham. Not just to David, but all the way back to Abraham. This is coming to pass. She's also got this sense of what's going on with her and this deep joy, right? This spirit rejoicing in God my Savior because God has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. You recall that all that we knew about Zechariah and Elizabeth was it says that they were righteous people. Um, and all we know about Mary is she's lowly. Right? She's not anybody. Right? She's, she's not full of grace because she's special. She's special because she's full of grace. Right? It's God's gift of grace and favor upon her. Uh, and so she has this song of thanksgiving and praise and joy that somehow, somehow, God has looked upon her lowliness and has blessed her to be an instrument of God's blessing to all, right? The Mighty One has done great things for me. But notice she has the forethought. She has the sense that not only is this about the past, not only is it about her in the present and this astonishing thing that God is doing, but she, she sees that this has, of course, implications for everything to come. And not only, I mean, you've probably learned this by now, but uh, the good news, the good news that's coming in Jesus um, will often be heard by some people as something less than good news. 
We don't talk about that part of the good news very often. Right? The good news often comes across initially as bad news. Kind of depends on where you are when you hear the good news. Right? Um, which is a kind of reminder about how to, how to read the good news. Like, where, where do you put yourself in the story? Because Mary's clear that this, this God coming with power in this way calls into question a lot of what people take for granted as the norm. That this, that this coming, this God with us in the flesh is also going to bring judgment. And this, this reminds us of where the story is going. And you'll hear that also in Zechariah's song when you go to read that song. So what does she say? His mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's shown strength with his arm. But that's that powerful metaphor from the Hebrew scriptures, right? That Yahweh's arm is a, is a sign of God's power, right? It's like uh, I, I work out at the gym at uh, Milligan. I, I go at 6.30 three times a week so no one else is there. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially students. Like, why is that old man over there? He's just trying to fight off death just a little longer. <laughs> Looks like it's coming for you, Kenison. <laughs> but the, the reason I know what, no one's going to be there is because my students all like to work out in the middle of the day when everybody's there so everyone can see them flexing their muscles. <laughs> right? This is Mary's way of saying, when the Lord flexes his muscles, things happen. Okay. He has shown the strength with his arm. What has he done? He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She's, God has come to her, the lowly one, the humble one, the one who knows she's of no account. And this God is coming with power to scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Is that good news or not such good news? Well, it kind of depends on where you see yourself. He's helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors. It's a powerful song. And it's a, it's a reminder of the full breadth of this story. A story deeply rooted in the past of God's working with God's people 
It's about God with us now. Right? God with us now. Whether, whether we are willing, individually and as a people, are, are we willing to consent that God take flesh in us? Because God won't do that unless we consent. Every day. Right? Every day. Um, you might say, well, how do we do that? Well, don't take for granted. I mean, part of the reason we gather as the people of God, I take as a small act of consent. Right? It's saying, we gather here to remind ourselves of the story, remind ourselves of what God's doing in the world, remind ourselves of how God has called us, like Mary, to be part of the story. That God has no desire and no will to be made flesh in our day apart from us saying yes. So are, are we willing for that? In light of where the story is going. Uh, God is bringing a new kingdom. We are called to be an anticipation, a living embodied anticipation of that kingdom. Frail lowly, imperfect, broken, and yet a usable witness to what God desires to do in our day. Are we willing for that? It's easy to come to Advent a little jaded, a little tired. I mean, how many Advents have you lived? Um, one of my strong memories from my youth, my, actually when I was a child, I was the fourth of four boys and I had a younger sister and I still remember when my brother John was a teenager, probably getting ready to graduate from high school. You know, our, our tradition in our house was, you know, our parents would wake us up and we'd all have to wait until everybody was ready before we could go downstairs uh, and see, right? And I can remember, just like it was yesterday, um, my brother John just having no desire to get out of bed at all. <laughs> He'd say, well, I'll, I'll get there in a minute. I think I need to take a shower. It's like, are you crazy? You know, we were like full of anticipation. He was like, you know, it's just another Christmas. You know, what's the big deal? And, and I worry that that's where I've gotten in my old age, right? It's another Christmas. It's another Advent. Same old story, same old songs, you know, same pile of trash to, you know, drag out the day after Christmas. <laughs> Try Try to go back and read these songs this Christmas time, right? And try to catch again the hope, the joy, and, and, the, and the sense that this is calling us to get caught up in something bigger than us. Mary was pretty clear this was not about her. 
she had been asked to be part of something so much bigger than her that she could not help but sing. When's the last time I could not help but sing? I fear it's been too long. Let's pray. Gracious God, soften and open our hearts and minds this Advent season that we might catch again the part that you called us to play. And at those moments when we might be tempted like Mary to say, who, me? That we might be reminded that you have poured out your spirit upon us and empowered us to do things we could not do on our own. May we be receptive to the work of your spirit in our lives as the people here and as your church. And may you empower us this day and in the days ahead to be a powerful embodied sign and witness of your presence in the world, God with us. And it's in the name of Jesus, God with us, that we offer our lives and this prayer. Can you wave to us as you're leaving? Jerry and Annette Long, who are on their way to get a plane. We loved having you with us, even for a short time. <laughs>